Luke 1, beginning with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open up your scriptures to us this morning, that as we uh, hear them proclaimed, that they might live in our hearts and make us your renewed people. Amen. You know, uh, culturally, uh, we get a little uh, carried away with Christmas. Not that you can celebrate Christmas too much, but uh, sometimes we celebrate it a little early. You probably all have noticed this. Uh, Christmas sort of creeps back earlier and earlier in the year, and it's not a surprise at all these days to go into Kroger or wherever in early November, and, uh, and all of a sudden you're seeing these little, this Christmas stuff is around. Um, and, you know, we're an impatient culture. Uh, we Americans, we are innovative. We get things done and we like things done now. And so uh, we like our Christmas to come quickly. We're also a consumeristic culture and we love to go and buy things and, and people just can't wait to sell it to us either. And so uh, Christmas begins earlier and earlier, it seems. You know, it's not just us, though. It's not just Americans. This is part of the human condition. When I lived in Ireland several years ago after I graduated from state, uh, you know, they don't have Thanksgiving, and they don't really do Halloween either. And so Christmas really started in full force there, even earlier than it does for us. Christmas really just comes on like a storm. But, you know, with that comes anxiety. This is, a, this is a hard time of year for a lot of people. There's conspicuous consumption and there's the temptation to keep up with the Joneses and it's a hard time and you know it's the end of a semester in school for a lot of folks and it's the end of a work year and we start to think about what we've done with our past year and it's a time of anxiety. It's a time of financial hardship for a lot of people. And of course it's a hard time of the year for many who have lost loved ones during the holidays. And even if you haven't lost a close family member uh, at this time of year, it can be tough too, especially if that loss uh, is recent because you are remembering that person that you're not able to spend this um, family time with. Uh, and the condition and place of our hearts is often not in sync with the culture. The culture is celebrating, the culture is rushing, the culture is consuming, and we sometimes are grieving and anxious, and worried, and sad. And it makes it even harder when the world around us doesn't match up to what is going on with us uh, for so many during this time of year. <coughs> but you know, actually, it's not Christmas yet. Christmas doesn't start till uh, December 25th. <coughs> it's still Advent. 
And as we just talked about with the lighting of the Advent candle, this isn't um, a time that actually we're, we're here to celebrate yet. Uh, we are still on the, the front side of that. This is a season uh, for hoping and for waiting. And we're hoping and waiting because we know that not everything is, is right with the world that we live in. When we celebrate Advent, we remember that uh, people are grieving and sad and anxious and there are hard times around us. And that, in fact, we need God to do something about that. And so when we remember Advent and we wait, Advent means coming. When we wait on the coming of the Lord, we're saying that, God, we need you to fix what's wrong in our lives. We need you to fix what's wrong with our world. So we are hoping and waiting and repenting in advance of your coming to us. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that in, our, in the world that we live in. So for the next uh, two sermons, at least, that I'll do, um, I'll be gone next week. Tommy Edwards is going to come and preach, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm, my brother's getting married, so I'm going, going to his wedding. Um, but for the next two sermons, I'll do at least, uh, I want to talk about hoping and praying, and hoping and praying in particular with two Advent prayers, really Advent songs that we find in the Gospel of Luke. Um, you might know them as the, the Magnificat or the, uh, the Benedictus. Those are the Latin names for them. Uh, the English really names for them would be better as the Song of Mary and the Song of Zechariah. They're the songs that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings, and Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings uh, and prays. This is kind of a song-prayer combination to celebrate what they know that God is going to do and the evidence that is already right there that God is going to do something. So in our, our, our rush to Christmas, my hope with thinking about the Magnificat and the Benedictus, um, these prayers right out of the gospel, is to help us to slow down, to help us to slow down and to hate, to, to, to hope, not to hate, certainly, that was a, a, a misspoke, uh, to hope and to anticipate and to wait on God to come to us. And this prayer, the, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary in particular, um, today I think I want us to see that it's a, it's a, it's a song, it's a, it's a passage that connects the Old Testament to the New Testament and, and tells us about how God works. And it's a song that tells us about who Jesus is. It is a, it's an encapsulation of the gospel itself. And it is a, and it's more than that, it's a prayer, it's a song that's meant to be used. It's not something that we just want to know about. It's something for us to put into practice, to actually say for ourselves. That's what the song is about. So but first, what, you know, what is this? What is the Magnificat? Uh, you know, uh, the, the, that term, the Magnificat, it comes from the Latin translation of this, of this prayer. Uh, and it's just the first word in the Latin translation. It's the Latin for magnifies, to say that something is great. That's all it means. Uh, so, so we might call it the Song of Mary instead, or the Canticle of Mary. Or actually, my favorite is the Greek version of this. It's the Ode to the Theotokos. All right, that's the, uh, that's the God bearer. That's what that Greek word means. That's just a fantastic name. Um, by the way, this is different from... The prayer, the Hail Mary prayer that you might have, you might know about that Catholics and some others pray. This isn't that. That is a prayer said to Mary, right? 
and it draws on some scriptural themes and adds some other stuff in there too. That's a topic for another day. This isn't a prayer to Mary. This is a prayer that Mary says and that we might say to. And this has come straight, I mean, it's the passage straight from Luke. That is the prayer. That is the song. It's, you can't get more biblical than this. It's straight, straight out of the gospel of Luke. And the occasion for this prayer is when Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, pregnant in her old age, she didn't think it would be a possibility, and all of a sudden she's going to have this child, is visited by her younger, probably a young uh, teenager, uh, cousin Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus. And when they meet, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth is saying to her little cousin Mary, Blessed are you. God is doing something great with you. And God through you is going to do something for our people. Our people who've been waiting and hoping and wishing and and longing for God to come. God is doing this with you. Blessed are you, little cousin. And so this this prayer that uh, that that Mary, that what Mary does in response to what Elizabeth says to her is to sing this song. To sing this song that, that Tom Wright calls, it's the gospel before the gospel. And it's, you know, a lot of times we think of, when we read the Bible, we kind of do it in the somber tone, you know. Uh, My soul magnifies the Lord, blah, blah, and we kind of drone on with it. But that's not how Mary would have sung this. This is a song of celebration, it's kind of like, a, you know, you, you watch a, a musical and all of a sudden people start singing for no reason whatsoever. People don't normally do that. Well, that's the scene here. Mary breaks out into song and, and Wright says that it's a, it's a fierce, bright shout of triumph. 30 weeks before Bethlehem, before Jesus is born. 30 years before Calvary and Easter. And it goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp. And it's all about God and it's all about revolution, and it's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. Those who were waiting know when Jesus comes that it's time for triumph and for celebration. So the song that Mary sings, as I said, it connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, The Old Testament story to the New Testament story. And pay attention to what Mary says. What does she say? She says that mercy, God is, is bringing mercy from generation to generation. She's recalling all that God has done with those in the past and that God will continue to do, of course, with those of us who have responded to Jesus in the future. And Mary says that he had, God has helped his servant Israel according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. When Mary finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And when she celebrates it in this song, she knows that what God is doing is responding to the promises that he has made long ago. It's not like God, you know, woke up on a Tuesday and said, y'all, let's, you know, Mary can have a, a child and that will be the way that we save the world. No, 
This is in response to what God has already been doing with his people. God is bringing it to fulfillment. And Mary is saying that God has remembered his people. He hasn't forgotten them in their distress. And notice how she says it too. The language itself of this, uh, of this prayer, it sounds, this is a theological term, it sounds Old Testamenty, right? It sounds like something that you might read in Samuel or Chronicles or somewhere like that. And indeed it is, because this song draws on some of the same language that Hannah, for example, sings when she gives birth to Samuel. This in tone and in content is a continuation of what God had done with his people. And this tells us something about God and something about Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't an interruption or a change of God's plans. He's not plan B. Jesus is sort of, you might say, in the works from the beginning. And why? Because God is faithful. From generation to generation, he's faithful. So you who are facing hard times at this time of year, who are remembering lost loved ones, or are anxious because of things in the news like Ferguson and ISIS, whatever you might say about those things, they are nothing short of tragedies that, that call us to long for God to come and make things right. Those of you who are anxious at this time of year, this is a promise that God has not forgotten you. And when it seems like God's not paying attention. What Mary says in this song and what we say when we then pray this song and read it in our scriptures is that God hasn't forgotten us and that God will do something about all that we know to be not right. God hasn't forgotten us. The Magnificat, it it connects the old Testament story to the New Testament story, the story of Israel to the story of the church. It also tells us what Jesus is about and what the gospel is about. What does Mary say? She says that uh, this is what God is going to do. And she says this is what God has done, but what she's really saying is that this is what God is doing in Jesus. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now Mary's not saying that everything's perfect in this world. Still yet in the gospel to come, Jesus himself will suffer. Mary and her family will have to flee to Egypt. Powerful people on the throne will call for all the male children less than two years old to be killed. There's still a lot wrong in this world that Mary is living in. But yet she says that God has thrown down the powerful, that God has lifted up and filled those who are lowly and those who are hungry. Why is she saying this? She's saying this because that is what God is going to do in Jesus. What he begins to do in Jesus' lifetime and the promise of what will happen when Jesus comes again. And Jesus himself will say something very much like this. Notice the similarity in the language. Jesus in, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the Luke version of that is the Sermon on the Plain. It's in Luke 6. And Jesus says this. See how similar it is to what Mary says. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. What Mary says that Jesus does, and what Jesus is saying that he is doing and what God will do, is to bring reversal. Those who are down and out, those who are the outcast, those who are hungry, those who are in need, God will bring them justice. That God will lift them up and take care of them. In a world that uh, we see everything going wrong in, that Jesus will turn that world upside down. Or maybe a better way to say it is this, that in a world where everything is upside down, Jesus will make it right side up again. That God will bring justice through Jesus. That God will fix all of the broken things. And that's why this is a season for hope. It's a season for hope because we know that we need hope because things aren't right as they are. And that through Jesus, God promises one day at last to make things right. One final thing about this prayer, about this song, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. You know, it's not just meant for us to read it in Luke and say, oh, well, that's a nice prayer there that Mary says. Luke gives it to us in this form because we're meant to say it for ourselves and pray it for ourselves. When we read it, our minds say me and my soul. We start to say it ourselves. And in fact, Christians through the centuries um, and still today in many, many churches pray this as a regular part of their prayers. We don't really do that as much in our particular branch of the tradition, but it's a big part of the uh, Church of England from which we sprang. And in fact, it's, it's a regular part of your evening prayer service. And so we pray the prayer that Mary prayed. And when we pray the prayer that Mary prayed, we say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked down with favor on the lowliness of his servant, me, his servant. Surely from now all generations will call me blessed. Maybe that's the strangest line when we say it. How can we say why would we say that all generations will call us blessed? When you say it, how, how can you say that? All generations will call me blessed. Well, they'll call you blessed for the same reason that they call, will call Mary blessed. Because you are saved on the same terms that she is. She's saved because of Jesus. Salvation comes to her from God through the child that she is carrying. And salvation comes to us from God through the child that she carried. And so all generations will call us blessed if we are a part of believing in him, if we are a part of his people, if we are a people who can say this prayer that we magnify God because of what he is doing in Jesus. All generations will call us blessed. And this calls us to, to ask ourselves, how can we express that? How can we begin to say how great God is so it magnifies means. Magnus is Latin, Latin day, by the way, here in Tremont. Magnus is, is the Latin for great. And to magnify it is to say how great something is. 
And there are lots of ways for us to do that, of course. Um, when we, and sometimes it's simple. When we do things, or when Paula and you in this case did things like decorate this church so well and beautifully, it's a way of saying how great God is. It's a visual representation that this is the God that we worship. And, it's, uh, and of course, we can't possibly begin to encapsulate it all with the things that we do, but it's a way to celebrate how great God is. So thank you for doing that. It's an important way for us to put that prayer into to action, if you will. And we had a crew go down to the children's hospital. Not the, excuse me, not the children's hospital, but the children's home in Jackson um, yesterday. That was a way of saying how great God is. And in your daily life, when you um, are out there doing the things that a Christian should, wherever you're working, healing and teaching and caring for others, it's a way of saying how great God is. But I don't want to just think about the things that we do. Those are important. Those are very important. And I, I tend to go there because I'm a doer. I like to, you know, it's concrete. You can do something. You've, now you've, you've done it, right? But this is also a song, a prayer that calls us not to just do stuff to say how great God is, but to just exist, to just be, to just worship in his greatness. Because Mary hasn't done anything here. I mean, certainly there are hardships that come with her carrying Jesus, and she will go through the pain of childbirth, so I don't want to discount that for a minute. Of course, there is much for her to do. But as she sings this song, at least, she hasn't done something great. Something great has just happened to her. She's conceived by the Holy, uh, you know, she's conceived this child by the, the Holy Spirit. And this great thing has just happened. And so she celebrates God and breaks out into song. And so all she has to do is just say how great God is. And in this season where we're so tempted to go and do things and to be anxious and to buy stuff and to uh, go to this and this and this, and we're so full of anxiety about the things that our culture calls us to do, this prayer is a reminder that sometimes we need to just be. We need to just celebrate. We need to just stop and say how great God is. How great God is even when we don't feel like it. Because to say it when we don't feel like it helps us to start to live it. Helps us to start to believe it. And so I would encourage you as you go forth this week take this prayer take this song and pray it. You know, it's usually a thing for evening prayer in a lot of liturgical traditions. It doesn't matter if you do it in the evening or at noon or in the morning or whenever. It's not some magic formula or something like that. It's a, it's a prayer to help you think about what it means to hope in God. It's a prayer to help you become a person uh, who is patient and waiting. I'm not good at that. I'm not a patient person. This is to help us become a people of hope in a season of hope so that we might express the hope of God for others. And that's my prayer for us this week and every week, but especially in this season, that we would be able to be that kind of person, that kind of people for ourselves and our family and our community. Let's pray. God, we pray 
God, we pray that you would make us a people of hope. That you would help us to slow down and just rejoice in what you've done for us. And when we are anxious and sad and full of tragedy, we pray that you would help us to magnify you for what you will do. For the promises that you've given us, that you've not forgotten us, that you won't forsake us, that you won't leave us. That you'll come again and make all things new. Lord, we pray for your coming. Your kingdom come. Amen.